This week's podcast is brought to you by the State of Online STEM Education in the U.S., an upcoming national survey from the Online Learning Consortium and the Every Learner Everywhere Network. The survey will explore the online STEM landscape through the lenses of faculty, institutional leadership, researchers, and policymakers. Please sign up and take the survey at studyinput.com. That's studyinput.com. Emergency remote teaching. That's, that's what's going on. Um, that's what a lot of people are calling this um, thing that schools and colleges are doing during this unprecedented time of the COVID-19 virus where there's social distancing and, and an attempt to, to slow the spread of this, of this deadly thing. For most colleges that have shut down for the pandemic, we're, we're still in the first few days of this shift to online. I mean, a lot of campuses had their spring breaks this month, and so classes are, are just now starting up of the actual remote instruction. So how is it going? What do these virtual classrooms look like and feel like for both the instructors and the students? That's what we're digging into today with voices from online college classrooms in the time of COVID-19. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the EdSurge Podcast. I'm Jeff Young, an editor here. So as I record this, it's, it's Wednesday, March 25th, and I just wanted to check in. Um, I called up two students and two professors who are willing to share their classroom experiences so far. This is obviously not a scientific sample, um, but it does give a flavor for what our reporting shows is happening across the country. And it highlights some of the issues that are coming up unexpectedly for teachers and students doing education online for the first time. I'm going to start with an adjunct professor who's teaching a course at Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., Simon Rodberg. He's actually someone I know well, um, so full disclosure there. But he shared his story while sitting on his couch, which for him, I guess, is now the front of his classroom online. I did have a class session yesterday uh, that was the first since the spring break and the move to online Um, and 16 out of 17 of my students showed up in a google meet um, and they were there and at the end of the class i thought to myself i think this has gone pretty well Um, i'm happy with it they've been engaged they've participated we've done a couple of different kinds of activities and i asked how being online has affected this uh this class for you. And I asked them to type into the, their answers into the chat box. And I watched as every single student said, I felt distracted. I didn't like it. It was hard to engage. I didn't get as much out of it. Every single answer scrolled through the, uh, the chat box. And I thought to myself, wow, I really misjudged how this went. And I'm really glad I asked. So interesting that for you, it was okay. I wonder what that was about. I think probably that just like in any in-person class, the teachers vary in the class because they have to respond to everything, be watching everything. Um, I didn't get distracted at all. Uh, But for them, um, you know, this was when they weren't the one talking, it was a lot easier to get distracted. I think the other piece, and I think this really matters a lot for schools, is that I've taught online classes before. They have not taken online classes before. They didn't choose to take online classes. They didn't sign up for an online learning experience. They signed up to be in a 17-person class meeting in a particular classroom at Catholic University of America. And now that's not what they're getting. And I think that as much as this is hard for educators to figure out, I think we have to remember that our students have expectations that are being totally upended for what school feels like 
um, and for what kind of learning experience they're going to get. I'm going to come back to Simon in a few minutes, but um, this experience he shared, it made me want to talk to a student. So I reached out to a student at Emerson College in Boston. So it's not one of Simon's students, but, but this student, Dana Gerber, wrote a piece for her student newspaper about how she's coping with the challenges brought on by COVID-19. She's a junior at Emerson, and she's now back home with her parents in Maryland since campus is shut. Her childhood bedroom is, has become the college classroom for now. How did it go? <laughs> um, it was good. Um, That's what I would describe as nervous laughter, and it, it's pretty telling, it turns out, of what she's experiencing these days. I mean, it was an ASL class, uh, so pretty... American Sign Language, so it was pretty well suited to transition to online learning because it's visual. It's not like a super experiential class, which is pretty nice in terms of like, I know a lot of my friends who were in film classes and performing arts classes and musical theater classes, and they just, you know, they're losing something big about their learning experience. They can't collaborate in the same way that they used to. I mean, even in this ASL class, I mean, you couldn't see everyone signing at once and the teacher signing because you wanted to make the teacher the biggest person. And so you only could see like five people at a time. And so when we were responding to each other, it was hard to keep up. This was on Zoom, I take it. Yes, this was on Zoom. And so you're definitely losing something with online classes. I suppose you could also be gaining something if you really commit yourself to the technology. I'm sure that there's tools that are useful. But at this point, it, we spent like half the class just trying to figure out how it works. And so you in terms of just sheer information learned, it was definitely less than what we were doing two weeks ago in, in a classroom altogether. What, what was it like to see the other students in your class today? You know, like now that everyone's pretty much gone to some other place because the campus is shut. Yeah. Um, it was pretty weird. It like some people were in their pajamas and some people were like in their beds and some people were uh, like eating food. And it was just very weird to see everyone in that context because um, and obviously like I'm not I'm not one of those people who is who thinks, you know, you have to like wear nice clothes to class or anything. It's not like a professional environment per se, but it's definitely not something you I've ever thought of as being done from your couch. Um, and so it was pretty everything's been pretty surreal up until now but I guess now it was like oh this is like actually quite strange everyone just is in their own place and we're all coming together for like two hours twice a week but other than that like we're not we're not living in the same world anymore uh the entirety of the nation and the world is not living in the same world as we did a month ago but also uh none of us individually are living in the same world because when we were all together on campus, it sort of seemed like we were, we had a pretty big shared experience, but now it, it just sort of seems like we're all a little bit untethered, uh, which is pretty, pretty disorienting, but I'm sure we'll get used to it. It was just weird to have the first class at first, everyone like in with different backgrounds. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. I can imagine. And then do you feel like yeah. most people were there? Yeah, I think everyone was there. Okay. So there's I think actually I think I think every student was there. All right. So people yeah. are people are they're dedicated to it. Yeah. You can uh yeah. Yeah, it was pretty Yeah, people 
because they're still counting attendance for synchronous classes and you lose your grade gets worse every time you don't show up for a class. But then again, I've also heard from a lot of people that like they're expected to show up to their 8 a.m. classes. But a lot of people have moved back to the West Coast, so it's really 5 a.m. for them. And it's just I. Yeah. So I don't know how they're going to figure out attendance because it is completely not fair to expect kids to wake up at 5 a.m. to go to a class. One professor who finds herself teaching her very first online classes is Elizabeth Self, an assistant professor of the practice and a teacher educator in the Department of Teaching and Learning at Vanderbilt University. Vanderbilt has moved online now for the rest of the semester. And I wanted to know, what was Liz's first reaction when she found out that she'd be doing remote teaching? Uh, I think the first thing I thought was, oh, crap. I mean, genuinely, I was very quickly thinking about how do I, number one, you know, replicate the kind of relationships, interactions, movement, all of those things that are an important part of the classes that I teach and so many teach in an online setting. Um, And the second was, you know, how do I take care of my students? Um, Because those weekly face-to-face sessions are as much about seeing people's faces, seeing how tired they look, seeing how engaged they are in the material, seeing all of those kinds of things and having that back and forth as it is, you know, learning new content together. And so, um, you know, I was worried about what learning was going to look like, but I was also just worried about like, you know, how do I, and obviously for me with the work that I do, taking care of students is an important part of what teaching is. And so trying to figure out how to do that in an online format as well. Do you think, uh, so that first class, did everyone show up for the Zoom I had three students, I think, that weren't there for the first class. And, um, you know, I emailed them basically right after class and said, we missed you. I'm not sure what's going on with you today. If you're still traveling, if you don't have tech you need, if just things piled up, just reach back out. Um, I always joke with my students, like, I'm a mom. I worry uh, when I don't see them. So, you know, there's not a problem here, but just let me know you're okay kind of thing. Um, And quickly got emails back from people saying, um, you know, I, I totally, you know, just forgot that it was happening, hadn't seen the announcement yet because they hadn't even settled in to log back onto Brightspace. Um, or I think in some cases, um, there was a, for at least one student, there was a time zone difference. And so genuinely just having to learn to account for that, you know, was a whole new step for them. What, did, what was it like to kind of see all these students as little boxes in a video windows instead of in person? It was different, but in interesting ways. So on the one hand, you know, when you're standing in a classroom teaching, you're kind of, you're moving around, you're turning to turn things on, you're, it's, you can't usually look at all those faces at once, right in front of you. So in, on the one hand, it felt very, it felt a lot more up close and um, sort of in your face, literally, than a regular class session is in ways that can be a little overwhelming and, um, and still yet fairly impersonal. Um, but it was interesting to me to quickly see what it did afford in the sense that like I could see, you know, I think students feel like they need to respond more visually um, as a result of um, as a result of being on the online format. And so they nod their heads more or they give you a quizzical look and you know you need to respond or they'll give you a thumbs up if you say, is everybody clear before we go into breakout rooms what to do? Um, I think that there's a sense that they feel like they need to give you more feedback that way um, because we can't all hear each other. You know, they're usually muted if I'm giving directions. Um, 
And then the other part of it was just sort of seeing what their online, what, what their physical environment looked like behind the online. So some students definitely were in a very um, empty room with a blank wall behind them, and that was great, and that was fine. Some students put up the virtual backgrounds and had fun with that. But some students were just, you know, sitting in what was probably the room that they grew up in, and I'm looking at what posters are on the wall and, you know, those kinds of things and sort of getting a sense of, like, who are they at home um, and what does that look like for them, which, again, from a teaching perspective, is an interesting piece that you don't normally have when you teach students, you know, at a university setting. And so that was, that was pretty cool. What do you see as the biggest challenge for finishing out this semester uh, using digital tools instead of being face-to-face? I think for me, the biggest challenge that this format presents is that consistent feedback loop and especially sort of the mini loops that exist in teaching. So if I'm talking about a final assignment for the class, I'm able to say something like, you know, ask me three questions and we can do that pretty seamlessly. Um, In the tech format and because of timing, um, I'm much more likely to make a little, you know, video and post it with information about it and then say, you know, email me if, if you have questions about this. Um, and, you know, you can do it synchronously. You can still ask those questions, but it just, everything's a little slower online in terms of the responses and then your ability to read it and feedback. Um, and I would imagine that for a lot of people who would do things like, I'm going to work out a problem up here, or I'm even doing a little bit of a lecture, while you can still do that synchronously, a lot of us are doing those in videos and then having students consume them and then maybe posting somewhere else. So we're losing that instantaneous, like, I'm working out the problem and I'm halfway through the problem and I suddenly realize I've lost half the class. I've got to stop. I've got to adjust. I've got to go back through it with them. Um, and so that is the biggest thing I think that we lose, um, which is just sort of tied to that humanness, right? Like being physically in a room together and sensing, can we do five more minutes or do we need to stop now? Can we, um, you know, push through to a harder problem or do we need to stick with something like this? Um, my class in particular is talking about pretty heavy stuff, you know, how racism and classism and xenophobia and all those things play out. And so getting a sense of how students are receiving that, are they feeling, Um, You know, is that something that reflects experiences they've had or are having? Is that something where they're feeling attacked as the oppressor? Is that something where, you know, they're learning something new and really need to talk about that? Like those mini moments are fewer and further between in tech teaching, at least in the way I'm doing it right now. Um, And so trying to figure out how to overcome that or find other ways to connect with students is, is I think, going to be really important for me. Not all professors are are doing that kind of careful outreach to their students or trying as many digital tools for teaching as Liz Self at Vanderbilt is. For instance, Claudia Chinazo Ugmana is an undergrad at Cleveland State University, and she says most of her emergency remote classes are pretty low tech. Some of my professors are just posting weekly materials, and a lot of it is like, read this, and we're getting a lot of email notifications saying, you know, this has been posted. And, you know, read this, watch this video and carry on with the assignment. And I think that we are lucky enough to be in a time where learning can just be that easy, where you never have to ever email your professor or ever have to sit in a Zoom session with your professor. You can just read a lecture online or watch a video that he's pre-recorded and take a test and it's that easy. Um, But I definitely feel like the learning aspect of things might be altered in the future just going forward because I don't know how realistic it is to just have that kind of connection all the time where it's just reading a video, watching a video that you pre-recorded 
or I'm reading a lecture or I'm reading a document and I'm answering a bunch of questions. I feel like the learning is disconnected there in a sense or can get disconnected in the long term if this thing continues on throughout the summer and even in the fall. Dina Gerber, the student from Emerson College that I talked with, said not all of her classes are using the online format fully either. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a, a lit class this semester that I, I love the professor's lectures, and he was an older guy, and he really didn't want to learn the technology, and so we're just doing asynchronous learning at this point. We're just reading the texts and then writing up responses on our school's uh, website, Canvas. And it's like, that's not really what I wanted out of this class. I want, like, I I get, and I completely understand he doesn't want to, like, learn Zoom. I totally understand, but it's it's not like it's a seamless transition. It's definitely got its road bumps already, but, so two of my classes are asynchronous and two are synchronous. Um, so we'll see, we'll see which one works out better. <laughs> right now I'm thinking they're both sort of, uh, e- equally disheartening a little bit but I know everyone's trying their best and we really didn't have any other option and obviously it's very important but at this point I'm just kind of like well can't we like can't we just cancel classes and like (laughs) just pick up next year or something but that's also not really feasible for kids who need to graduate on time so we're seeing some students on social media complaining about the quality of their remote teaching as well and some are even asking for some of their money back since they're not getting what they paid for according to them then again, many students do understand that no one chose this situation. We're in a crisis here. My sense is that many professors are are really trying to adapt and improve as they go with this online teaching. I asked Simon Rodberg, that first instructor I talked with at the top of the show, what he did when he saw students in his first online class push back and, and say they felt disconnected. Honestly, I am still trying to figure that out. Um, they did show up. And so I'm going to ask them, do they want to show up again and make myself at the very least available to be there at that synchronous time at the time that our class will usually meet. But I'm also going to try to schedule more one-on-one check-ins. I'm going to try to put more material online um, for them to learn from. I also have to balance, honestly, just like every other teacher in America, that my life has been upended as well. And I can't devote as much time to totally rethinking my class as I would like to. Um, I'm homeschooling my son right now. That's kind of a cliffhanger for a future episode right there, um, since I talked to Simon more about his experience homeschooling and his advice for K-12 teachers and school leaders. So stay tuned for that in a future episode. It seems like one recurring challenge we're hearing is time zones and how hard it can be for students and professors scattered around the country or the world. I asked Liz Self how she's handling that issue. Uh, I mean, I'm fortunate in terms of the three classes that I have are all at times that the students in them can still participate. Now, I have an 11 o'clock class, so some folks in California are just getting up. Um, And I do have two students who are now physically in China, um, but one of them is you know, quarantined and only has the intranet, not the internet, as he explained to me. So he is literally communicating things to the other student who's currently in China so that she can pass messages along from him um, so that we can stay in touch. But um, I think that is one of the reasons why we've been encouraged to, and a lot of people have put at least some of our content, if not a lot of our content up asynchronously so that students who just, it does not, you know, they don't need to be getting up at three o'clock in the morning or whenever it would be to be able to participate in class. Um, And so to make sure that they have access to 
um, you know, videos that we're watching, message boards or, you know, chat boards where people are having conversations that we're posting um, recordings of the in-person or the the synchronous class conversations that we did have to be accessed, and then also just a lot of email. Um, so for students who can't be part of class, I, I have a spreadsheet where I keep track of the last time I uh, saw, quote unquote, everybody, um, so that if I have, you know, for one of my students who I can't, who can't be in class right now, um, who is in a wildly different time zone, who is under some extraordinary circumstances in terms of being in quarantine by himself away from his family in another country, um, I just want to, I, I want to know that they're okay. And so part of what I'm trying to do is just kind of keep track of them. All of this captures where we are in college remote teaching today. And I'm sure this will change quite a bit. We'll be watching. And we'd love to hear your experiences, whether you're an instructor or a student who's suddenly forced online. If you're up for it, use the Voice Memo app on your smartphone to record a short comment about your experience, just a minute or two if you can, and email it to jeff at edsearch.com. We'll play some on a future episode. Once again, my address is jeff at edsearch.com. This episode was very quickly edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. If you don't already, please subscribe to the EdSearch podcast wherever you listen. We'll be back with our regular episode next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.